Welcome to episode 21 of the Tottenham Hotspur Family Podcast. It's April the 5th, Easter Sunday, and my guests today are Nikki Merritt from Joburg. Hi, everyone. Guy Jinks from Warwickshire. Good evening. And making his debut, Simon Dowling from Ipswich. Bless you, my children. Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, We did have a game today, a very dull and boring game. But before I talk about that match um, with with, with my guests, um, so earlier... Earlier in the week on Tuesday, I was fortunate enough to catch up with TV presenter, food connoisseur and Spurs fan, Adam Richman. Um, we talked about his new TV series, um, which which premieres this weekend, um, and of course his passion for Spurs. Um, and here's what he had to say. I'm pleased to say that I've got a very special guest this evening, um, a food connoisseur, a Tottenham fan, Mr Adam Richman. Hello, it's 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 Richmond actually. Richmond is the guy who plays Snape. <laughs> I apologies, um, Mr. Adam Adam Richmond. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for for for, for, for um, agreeing to this. Um, I just should add that I'm I I'm a big fan of um, uh, man um, versus food, and um, it was funny because I, I started. Um, watching it a few years ago and um, really enjoyed the, the um, TV series and you come across, across as very affable and, and, and a really Thank good you. really good presenter. Um, what I didn't know until maybe a few months afterwards that you also happen to be a Tottenham Hotspur fan, which which fills me with, with joy, I, I can tell you. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that um, a little bit later, but just very quickly, you're in Europe at the moment, is that correct? No, I'm I'm back in Brooklyn. Actually, I just returned home uh, Saturday from Milan. Okay, um, but you've been promoting. You were in, you were in Europe last week, London, and then Milan, and you were promoting um, a new TV series. Um, yes, that's correct. I have coming to the UK um, April fourth, Man Finds Food, and April fifth, my game show uh, Food Fighters. Um, if you could give me a little brief synopsis on, on, on both of those um, TV shows, because as I said, I, I loved um, Man vs. Food, so I'm, I'm really looking forward um, to Thank these you. two, and I, I, I know countless others are. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, well, okay, um, so simply put, Man, I'll, I'll go Food Fighters first. Food Fighters is um, basically um, about, uh, well, it's home cook brings five of their best recipes that they've been making for their family for years, and they go up against five of the best chefs in the world. The, uh, the home cook doesn't know what chef they're competing against, um, nor do they know uh, that chef's expertise. And then by the same token, the chef doesn't know what they're cooking. So there's this beautiful sort of strategy battle that occurs because what they end up doing is they try to pick uh, recipes that go to the chef's sort of weak spot. Um, and it's really kind of fascinating because we do legitimately have, you know, home cooks from every possible walk of life. We have a wounded Iraq veteran. 
to a grandfather, to a newlywed, a science teacher, a mother of a special needs child, and it's actually quite quite beautiful. Um, the the other thing is that the judges, you know, I'm not a judge, I'm merely the presenter. The judges are just five ordinary Americans um, who don't know a whose dish is whose, or that it's a professional versus an amateur. They just get two different dishes and they have uh, to decide which one they like better. So it's that's pretty remarkable. Now, man finds food. Clearly, there's obviously something strangely recognizable about that title. Um, but man finds food. I will say without any question or pause, is my favorite and quite possibly the best food and travel show I've ever done. Um, and it is a, basically an exploration of any given city's hidden restaurants or off the menu dishes. So it's basically stuff for example like a restaurant we found in Austin behind a bookcase in a youth hostel we found a restaurant in um, Boston not Austin but in Boston we found a restaurant um, in a random nondescript concrete building on a pier um, there's a restaurant in the basement of an office building in Milwaukee Wisconsin and that basically this restaurant makes um, something like four dishes they're open for three hours they've never advertised and yet they have a line that goes out the door literally that goes across the basement to the lobby out onto the street and it's 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 just uncanny it's just unlike wow. anything you've ever seen in your whole life that's um and and like i say it's 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 i mean i think perhaps one of the other reasons i'm proudest of it is that you know much like a a football club couldn't really exist without 11 really good men. You know, my crew is featured very heavily on this show, and they are some of the most amazing, kind, and professional people uh, working in entertainment, in my opinion. And I really and truly couldn't love them anymore. And uh, we put a bunch of GoPros around the car. You see us legitimately struggling to find these restaurants. Um, you even see them try the food and get their opinions on the food, not just mine. Um, the other thing that's quite nice is that, in all honesty, um, you know, whereas, for example, uh, you know, with Man vs. Food, we had two locations and then had to focus on the challenge. Here, because we don't, we're not married to that, we can show two times as many locations, which is really quite lovely. It, it sounds fascinating. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, if I... May I ask a, a football-related and a food-related question? Um, Please, I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So um, I know that you were in London last week and, and you're fairly f familiar with, with some of the food places in, in, in London. I saw in, in, in an interview you mentioned Borough Market, for example. Um, yes. If you had, if you could take a current Spurs player um, somewhere to eat uh, um, in London, doesn't have to be in London, it could, I suppose it could be in, 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 in New York, um, where would you go? Um, what would you eat? Which player would you take and why? Okay, I would go probably with Christian Eriksen because I have a romantic crush on him. Although, you know, and because I, I guess also because I was fortunate enough to interview the great Harry Kane um, after his, um, he had a hat trick in um, the right. league competition. Yeah, against Asteris. And Asteris, I had a yeah. chance to interview him. Um, so I don't want to be greedy, but I haven't really had a chance to really hang out and talk a little bit with Christian Eriksen. And I've been um, a humongous fan of his since his days at Ajax. 
So I would go there, but because I'd want to do something that Pochettino wouldn't be mad because it would be too heavy, I might do something like, um, oh, I don't know, perhaps something like duck and waffle, but I would insist that he had, you know, I don't know, what's good for penalty kicks? (laughs) Uh, I I, I might go, actually, I would take Christian Eriksen somewhere cool, like there's a great little Chinese restaurant that I love off of Macclesfield Street. Yeah. called Mao Thai Kitchen, and I just, because it's a place that I dig, and I know he's far from home, and every time I'm in London, I'm far from home, so I think this is a place that um, he would dig, and, you know, hey, what's cooler than when someone you like, like some, you know, when you have a mutual affinity for them. Absolutely. Um, th- th- there's a lot more that I would like to ask, but I know we're, we're, we're pressed for time, and, I, and I'm very... No, it's I, cool. I'm, what's going I'm, on, brother? I, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for, for the opportunity. I was just going to say, really... Um, it's, it's through the wonders of modern technology that we can have this conversation, and I'm really grateful that that um, that it's happened. Um, what would what would be fantastic is next time that you're in London. Um, well, two things really. One, I would love it if you did a um, an, a, a TV series um, equivalent, for instance, of, of Man uh, Finds Food or, or um, Man versus versus Food. But, but in London, because I think London's a great city. Oh, I would um, love to do a man find food. Actually, I found uh, a couple places that, in my opinion, really would uh, be quite appropriate, uh, you know, hidden restaurants. In fact, Colin Murray on TalkSport actually gave me a few that I, I need to try as well. So I'm uh, gung-ho about that. Uh, and moreover, I was going to say, the next time that you're in London, um, I hope that you can make it to another Spurs game, and I'd, I'd love to meet you. Um, we've oh, got, I'd be, I we've... would be absolutely honoured. I was uh, very excited to be there for um, King Harry's hat-trick against Leicester, although the, the, it's, they never make it easy, do they? I mean, I, I grant you I'm, I'm new to the whole Spurs family, and I, and I personally want to also extend thanks. You've been extremely gracious towards me, but, you know, it's tough because when I was, um, you know, a, a new initiate to the world of club football in any of its guises, um, you know, I have to say the notion of, you know, Dave, uh, David Beckham famously said, you know, well, Manchester United's my first team, but Spurs are my second team. And, you know, for me, I never knew that there's a true difference between saying I support Team X versus I have a soft spot for Teams Y and Z. About three and a half years ago, I had put out a tweet. Now I realize the error of my ways. Um, but I had, was talking about all the teams I had an affinity for. Now the truth is I support Tottenham. I wear a cockerel around my neck every day, every night. My key has a Tottenham Hotspur chain on it. In fact, I speak to you while wearing Argyle socks with a cockerel on it. Um, and if I could get a tattoo, that's exactly what it would be. The thing is, I did not know, A, the rivalry with West Ham United, and I need to make clear that my grandfather hails from Leeds. So I had put on this tweet, I support Tottenham Hotspur, and then I had said, and again, all apologies, because it was an uninitiate and an American who didn't know any better. I put Iron, Leeds, Barca, and Red Bulls. Now, Red Bulls are my hometown team, well, up until recently, before Man City launched NYCFC with the likes of David Villa. Um, Leeds was obviously my affinity for my grandpa. Barcelona's in a different damn country. <laughs> but um, 
quite frankly, my desire to support Tottenham was really motivated initially by a desire. Uh, you know, I knew I didn't want to support a team that every other American did, because every American who didn't know any different, they were just always going to say Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, or Man U. Yeah. So one of the first teams I saw that wasn't one of those four was a West Ham side that had Scotty Parker, Demba Ba, um, Carlton Cole, Noble, Nolan. I mean, it was a solid squad. Um, I didn't know of anti-Semitic taunts. I didn't know of the historic rivalry. And it actually really broke my heart that when I managed to buy a ticket for quite a ridiculous amount of money to the Capital One Cup final, how much um, cruel uh, uh, language I received from quote-unquote fellow Spurs fans because I got to go. And um, it means a lot more than ever now when I get support from a Spurs entity such as yourself and your amazing podcast to blogs to fans I meet in the street because anyone who knows me knows that I'm Tottenham until I die. And the fact that on any level a three-year-old tweet could be used to somehow invalidate my deep-seated passion for this club breaks my heart. Unfortunately, social media is good. It's a fantastic tool, but quite often what people write in social media can, can be misinterpreted and, and so forth. But, I mean, what you've said and, and, and your passion for Tottenham, to, to anybody who's seen, um, for instance, that, that for that very first visit back in tw- yes. 20, t- 2012 and, and, and see you break out in tears, you don't need to explain and justify your passion, although it was, it was really heartwarming listening to you talk just now about about your passion passion for spurs um adam i know that you're pressed for time just the final final thing from me so we're playing burnley on sunday you're back in brooklyn will you be at okasi's bar watching the game Uh, that's funny i knew that they were at okasi's new york spurs um and you know it's funny they i know that my friends at the team you know they don't like us to use the y word anymore um but it's funny it's a bunch of guys jumping around going we're the years in America. Whoa, <laughs> <That's> the craziest <laughs> stuff. And we always say, you know, we're the we're the New York side of White Hart Lane. Um, this uh, weekend, um, I'm going to be doing an appearance in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I leave tomorrow, but um, I have that NBC Sports package, and I never miss a game. And uh, to every Spurs fan that's listening to this, you know, you have a brother in me, you have an ally in me, and if I have a chance to watch that game, you know. Believe you me, wherever I am, my my heart and my soul are pure lily white. That's 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 really touching to hear. Um, just just once again, so uh, Bam finds food and food fighters. They premiere in the UK on Saturday, April fourth. April fourth at five p.m. on Food Network is Man Finds Food. April fifth at five p.m. is Food Fighters. They're doing marathons both days, and then they're going to start airing them during the week at um, 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. That, that, that's really good. Really looking forward to it. And thank you once again. And if you do get, if you do get a chance to listen to the Tottenham Hotspur podcast, we normally rec- record at the weekend and um, we're available, um, uh, well, uh, usually at the start of the week. It, it, it's available to download from, from, from iTunes and, and, and other mediums. So um, thanks. Absolutely. No, it's funny. I, it's, it was when I first started downloading podcasts the very first genre that I began really downloading en masse were Tottenham ones. So it's really, I consider it to be a real privilege and an honor that, that you have me on. And 
um, salt beef bagel on Brick Lane, uh, my treat when I get back, God willing, in June. Look forward to it. Thank you very much, and take care. Come on up to Spurs. Be Burnley, baby. <laughs> take care. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, welcome back. And um, that was Adam Richmond, who I um, spoke to earlier this week. Really nice guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure, pleasure speaking to him. So let's turn our attention to today's game, Burnley. Um, do, we, do we have to? Unfortunately, we do. Um, <laughs> who should I start with, Guy? Oh, thanks for that, Jav. Uh, well, um, <laughs> don't know where to start, really. It was terrible. Top and bottom of it, it was terrible. I'd actually had a bet on it, which I suppose had cursed it from the off, really, because I'd got both teams to score, so that was a... That was a definite pointer to what what was going to happen, but um, oh, no, it was just terrible. I mean, at the end of the day, obviously Burnley are fighting to stay up, so you know what you're going to get with them. I don't think it was a great surprise that they worked their socks off, but um, I don't know. It just looked like a lot of they've already got what's the cliche? They're already on holiday. There was certain. I mean, it, even the simple, straightforward passing with they were getting that wrong in the first half. But it was across the board, you know. I don't think I, if I had to pick anybody out in the first half, surprisingly, I thought. Um, Polinio actually copped a little bit of criticism on the telly and also on mm. Facebook. But uh, I actually didn't think if you can possibly get six out of ten for a first-half performance and still be the best player you've got, I think that's probably the situation. I think Rose didn't do too bad. He worked hard. But um, Vaughan, you know, didn't really put a foot wrong. But the rest of it was was pretty appalling in many in many respects. Yeah, I've got to agree, really. Um it was a difficult play. You know, it was always going to be a difficult game, wasn't it, really? I think going there at this time of, se- of the season. And um, they are that team, I guess, that everyone likes at the bottom of the uh, the league as well. And they they sort of proved it to an extent. But, uh, you know, it's got, got to be agreed. I mean, there was that shot, that a thing by Paulinho in the second half. <laughs> but, that, but, but, you know, that that showed a little bit of what he can do and it's the sort of thing that I've seen him do previously but um, you know it obviously went horribly horribly wrong for him Um, but you know yeah Vorm I thought actually was quite good and uh, I've noticed that someone said afterwards that what's quite amusing is that after all the moaning about the selection that defence got a clean sheet so uh, (laughs) I think that's that's a good point yeah I suppose you know that's something to say from it really Um, but and I think right. it's only our fifth clean sheet of the season. So, as you say, given the personnel that were that played that match, it didn't do too badly. Yeah, I saw Danny uh, Danny Baker. I'm oh, sorry, Danny Baker. Danny Kelly uh, screaming at the second when the changes were made in the second half on Twitter, just saying what an unprofessional thing to do to have an international centre back at right back and a reserve left back at centre back. But you know, they managed to keep the clean sheet, so you can't complain to an extent. Well, exactly. Ultimately, Pochettino's selection will be vindicated, whether it was forced upon him or he made certain choices during the game. I mean, ultimately, it's ironic, I suppose, in a in a boring kind of way, that uh, we finally managed to keep a clean sheet and then produce pretty much powder puff attacking display. Yeah, we we look. In all due fairness, we we didn't really give their goalkeeper much to do at all throughout the throughout the ninety minutes, and. Um, and Vorm did make a couple of good saves. Um, they had opportunities. So, so yeah, I think 
as boring as the game was and as frustrating as it was and as excruciating as it was, and as much as we should be walking away with the points at this stage of the game, the fact that we walked away with a draw and a clean sheet is actually not bad. So, you know, you've got to you've got to give credit where credit's due. I was not happy with the team selection at all. I thought, you know, I did groan. I thought, oh, God, not Kirikish, are you mad? Mm. And, I mean, obviously, Vaughn, you know, he's good in his own right, but let's face it, he's not Hugo, but that was always going to be the case. Um, and... Yeah, so when, when Walker was went off injured, and, and I know Walker has his critics, but I love Walker. And and I was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? And then Kirikish is right back, which which in, in all honesty I think is actually a better position because he loves going forward and he's less of a risk in terms of um, giving away goals when he's right back because if he makes a mistake – we, we can recover a lot easier than if he's playing centre, in my opinion. So, actually, kudos to them. They didn't do too badly. We, we should have scored. We didn't. We walked away with the draw. We were lucky to do that. Yeah, did Kane, he got a bit of a knock, didn't he, in the second half and uh, didn't seem to see that much of him after that point. Did anyone uh, notice, notice anything about him later on? I'm going to have to make a confession now. And this is something that I, I can count on one hand the number of times I've done this over the years. But as, as, as a testimony to how bad the game was, I actually spent the second half embroiled in tit-for-tat sarky comments with people on Facebook. <laughs> and didn't, it, didn't even really watch much of the game, if yeah, I'm honest. That, that's uh, yeah. how bad it was. Well, yes, it was one of those sort of ones. But that sort of typifies it all, doesn't it, really? Because that's all people, I think that's what Nicky was saying before we started, about how people just like to go on and on about the players and... Uh, um, you know, not necessarily watch, you know, watch what's going on or take into account the overall, you know, the overall game. And, you know, they, they, it was a bit of a strange patch together team from the off, which got stranger as it went on. And, uh, you know, they did. And I thought Vaughan did quite well, probably really good for his confidence to uh, yeah. you know, play for us, uh, you know, play for us in the Prem and get a clean sheet. I, I, I must admit, I thought he was a fantastic keeper the season before last at Swansea, and I was surprised that he ended up as their second keeper. Agreed. I couldn't agree year, more. Last oh. year. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I think he's great to have as a second keeper. I know yeah, some I... people aren't so sure, but just a bit of a run, and I think he'd come good. He... I, I rate him, Simon. I rate he... him as well. I thought when yeah. he was at Swansea, I remember he, he caught the eye. I think it, it could well have been the first season they came up. I might be wrong, but mm. uh, he had a fantastic season for him. And I'm, I'm the same with you. It was a, quite a surprising decision that he made. To come and sort of play second because he was obviously going to play second. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you but, would think uh, it, it was maybe motivated by money. I don't know. Because, you'd have to say that, Jarvid. Yeah, definitely. Um, he he's certainly a good goalkeeper, but he's not the well in comparison to to Larice. He's you know Larice is just head and shoulders above. Yeah, definitely. Above yeah. Most. And he's not the sweeper keeper that that Larice is. Larice no. is, and that, that's the one criticism mm. I have of um of form. Yeah, you know, yeah, and and Larice just gives that little bit extra, but um, just coming back to the game, I it felt to me I don't know whether it was because it was a sunny day and and, and whatnot. It felt like a pre-season game. It felt a bit lackluster, or, or just yeah. the end of season game that that final game of the season where there's nothing to play for. Um, I thought that in some ways it was shades of uh, Man U. If, few weeks ago in terms of our performance just a bit slow off the mark a bit lackluster and I think if we'd played it and it's not 
taking any away from anything away from Burnley, who I think are a decent team. If we'd played a better side, if we'd played a, a you know a United, for instance, or somebody with quality players, then I think we would have lost easily. Um, but as it was, we we got a point. Um, and I should also add, and maybe this is not a very um, I'm not being very uh, Spursy or partisan here. Um, the fact that we've now, the fact that we didn't get the full three points, and we're, we're what, stuck on 54 at the moment with Liverpool, and that's eight points behind United, seven points as it stands behind City, and that could be extended if they win tomorrow. Um, that's definitely us out of the champion, Champions League race. If there was any any hope that we might finish top four I think that's all but finished which I, I, I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing at least we can just get, get on with the rest of the season yeah, be, yeah. Be, be realistic um, and and finish where we're, we're, we're um, likely to finish which I think will be about fifth or sixth yeah yeah I'd agree I think the I thing is what, could I think, I think um, in all honesty I know there's been some banter about it on Facebook and obviously it's a, it's a topic that gets raised all the time do we think we'll finish top four? And every game that passes, the same question gets asked. Now, I've said, I said it before this game, whether we won this game or not, I, I personally don't believe we were going to finish top four. I haven't done for probably three or four weeks, um, if nothing else, because Arsenal and Man United form at just the right time. But you've got to ask yourself, you know, for all the talk in the press, yes, we can do it, yes, we can do this, that and the other, the players are not daft. They probably also know that it's unlikely they're going to finish top four. And that's that's probably the only thing I can come up with because I was watching that game today and I, I don't know I don't mind if a player gives everything he's got and doesn't play very well that happens you know and it's like for example Paulinho shot you know he, he's tried something he's got it horribly wrong but when you see simple passes being put wide of players mm. and there was balls coming in and people were failing to control them first time now I've been you know I've touched on this before I've played myself even at nowhere near the level obviously but that's just pure lack of concentration these players yeah. haven't suddenly be good. they haven't suddenly become unable to control a football or kick it ten yards. They're just not con- concentrating and focusing one hundred percent on what they're doing. Yeah. And it wasn't just once or twice; it was throughout the game. Simple five, six yard passes were just going astray. And it, the only thing I can put that down to is just lack of concentration throughout the team. But also lack of respect at the end of the day, because. Because, yeah, okay, so it's Burnley. Yeah, they're at the bottom of the league. But, we've, I mean, Guy, you and I have discussed this previously. Regardless of where you are in the table, on your day, you can beat anybody if you just show up and perform. I don't care which team you are. So, for me, it's a bit of a lack of respect for the fact that, that you know, you should realise Burnley are fighting for their lives. And they are going to show up and want it more than you do. So if you don't show up and actually show that you want to win it, then they are going to put up a fight and you're going to walk away with the draw if you're lucky. We could have so easily lost that game. So easily. Absolutely. But I think the thing is possibly, you know, again, it might might even just be subconscious. I'm not saying it's a conscious decision to go out and not not care. I know what you're saying. I agree with you totally there, Nikki. But, I mean... The lack of respect thing, I certainly agree with that, but I'd actually say it's a lack of respect towards the travelling fans because, you know, some of them lads have probably travelled upwards of five, six hours or more to get up there yeah. and to watch a performance yeah. like that, you know, and it, and they'll they'll be there again next week because that's, that's what we do. But, uh, no, I don't know. It, it just, 
it it wasn't a good time to play Burnley. I don't well, I don't suppose there ever is a good time to play Burnley once they're in the relegation battle. But with six seven games to go or whatever it is, they're really you know they're going to give it a good go. They've got after the results went against them yesterday, they're always going to give that little bit extra. Absolutely, definitely. And yeah. I think you know at the end of the day, that game quite simply meant more to Burnley than it did to Spurs. I think that's yeah. the certain bottom of it. And it's not good, is it? You you know you're right in that uh, you know in that attitude that they have. But I don't know what the you know I don't know I don't know what the answer is unfortunately. No, no. I did, like, that's the other thing as well. Again, I don't want to take over this subject on, on this subject, but it's another thing worth remembering sometimes that, you know, we all get very passionate about Spurs because we're Spurs through and through. But some of these fellas, well, most of these fellas are not Spurs fans. You're obviously, at the minute, we're probably blessed with two or three, such as Mason and, and Kay, you know, reputedly were Spurs fans as kids. But a lot of these fellas, you know, they're just going to go out there and they're going to just earn their money. And don't get me wrong, they're going to give a little bit and they'll try as hard as they can. But it, it doesn't hurt, I don't think, it doesn't hurt them as much as it hurts the fellas on the terraces when they get beat. But that's not Tottenham, that's that's football in general. In yeah, fact, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how Sunderland and Newcastle go today because obviously it's a massive northeast derby. Um, but it just makes me wonder if Sunderland need that game more than Newcastle. And if I was a betting man, which I am, and not very good at it, <laughs> I'd be lumping on Sunderland to win that. Yeah. In fact, yes. I did. I yeah, had yeah. done. But it's already gone down because we didn't win, so it's already gone down. But I actually did lump on Sunderland to win. <laughs> just, just guys, the sorry to score, boys. Guys, sorry to go off on a tangent here, but just explain to me. So you um, put on a few bets yesterday. You ended up winning 130 pounds, but you still ended ended um, out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah. How how, how did that happen? Two words. Two words, Jav. Strawberry daiquiris. <laughs> Some bright spark amongst us suggested strawberry daiquiris, and I think I ended up buying about 20 of them at some point. I don't know. I can't remember. In all fairness, I had to go and pay my mate because uh, I hadn't settled up the 40 quid I owed him for the Leicester ticket two or three weeks back, so that, that went out as well. Um, but, yeah, it was a good day yesterday. Everything I touched turned to dollars. And, um, and then t- today I'm back to my usual form, and everything I touch just goes completely west. <laughs> So you can actually, having said what I just said two minutes back, you can almost guarantee now that Newcastle will win that game. Because I bet on Sunderland. (laughs) Um, I've not got a great deal more to say about the game. So unless anybody else does. um, We've got Villa next week. Now, um, before I turn to you guys for predictions and and the return of the man in the gilet, um, Tim <laughs> Elliot Elliot Lyon has kindly put together um, some. Uh, well, he's, he's provided some statistical analysis for um, uh, our next fixture. In fact, he did this last week, and it's backed by popular demand. So, here's Elliot Lyon with the forward line. This is the forward line on the Tottenham Hotspur Family Podcast with me, Elliot Lyon, looking forward to the game against Aston Villa on April the 11th. In our history, we've played Aston Villa 140 times, winning 16, losing 48. At the lane, we've played them 69 times, winning 36 and losing 20, outscoring them 134 to 99. We've had great success in, in this fixture in recent seasons, with wins in each of the last four seasons. In fact, home and away, we have been unbeaten in our last 13 meetings. An added dimension this time around is, of course, the fact that Tim Sherwood is their manager. So I thought I'd take a little look at our results against some of our other previous managers. We played QPR twice in the time that Redknapp was in charge of them, a board draw followed by a 4-0 win. We played Juan de Ramos' Dnipro over two legs, losing 1-0 and then winning 3-1 to go through an aggregate. 
and we've played Fulham six times since Martin Yol took the helm and we've won five of those. In general we seem to do okay against our old managers so Sherwood shouldn't worry us on that count. Villa's recent away league form has been quite poor. I'm recording this before their game at Old Trafford but their five away league games prior to that saw them gain only three points from 15. Conversely our home league form is very encouraging with 13 points out of 15. I rate the likelihood of us scoring as 84% and of us scoring more than once as 56%. That gives us a 41% chance of keeping a clean sheet. The most likely scoreline is a 1-0 win, followed by a 2-0 win, a 1-1 draw and the ever popular 2-1 win. Overall I have 61% for a Spurs win, 24 for a draw and 15 for a Villa win. This has been the forward line with me, Elliot Lyne. Come on you Spurs. Okay, welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Thank you, Elliot, once again for those stats. So let's let's look at the Villa game, do some quick predictions, starting with Simon. You're a big fan of um, Tim, oh. Sher- Tim Sherwood. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Timothy's going to uh, bring... Uh, unfortunately, I don't know, after today's game, um, you know, obviously the results didn't go for them at all yesterday with teams sort of around them, below them, are having great results. I think QPRs, actually. I was watching them on match of the day and uh, they, they were fantastic I thought really um, in terms of just getting getting goals and winning a game not necessarily massively skillful but um, you know they were really good um, but you know they're going to be desperate for it possibly may you know maybe more so than us you know I hope not so I hope not I hope that the you know what remains of the team from last season which I guess is most of it that he um, you know supposedly coached um uh i think you know hopefully most of them will want to put one past him as well so i'm going to go for a quite high scoring uh three two to us yeah yeah i think with you know i think they're going to be going for it um and i think three two yeah okay nikki what's your prediction well if the list of the game was anything to go by um I know this is boring, but I'm probably going to say 3-2 as well. You know, we're at home, aren't we? We're playing them at home. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I would hope that we wouldn't concede, but I I do think that, unfortunately, I think they're going to be up for it. So 3-2 is probably the, the call. But if we played like today, we'll lose. I, I know that's really negative. So I just hope that at home we show up with our own fans and give the boys a, a bit of support and and Pochettino is able to put a fire under the guys asses and they stop playing like it's the end of the season definitely guy what's your forecast for next week uh well i wish i could be as optimistic as the other two um about the number of goals but I'm thinking to myself, we I don't know how many, was it 15? I can't remember how many games we'd gone without conceit, uh, without keeping a clean sheet. So to ask for two in a row would seem a little bit of a long shot for me. And I think the other thing that scares me a little bit is we were terrible at Man U. We all agreed on that. We were awful at Man United. I think even though the game itself was entertaining from a goals perspective, we were not that good against Leicester either, really. Mm. And uh, one or two of our goals were a little bit fortuitous, so we, you know, which it does happen in football. But I just got this worry that we've got another game next week where if we get off to a decent start, things might be okay. But Villa will come at us again. 
they, I'm not saying they'll open the game up. I don't think they will. But what I'm saying is they'll battle hard. They'll want the points. And arguably, they'll want the points probably more than us. Mm. And my only concern is that um, the main man, Mr. Gilesh, Simon's favourite coach, I know they didn't do particularly well yesterday at Old Trafford, but, you know, that's that's not a surprise, really. And I think he has turned them around a little bit. They've Absolutely. got a few results. Yeah, definitely. And I just think that um, I've got a... I am a little bit pessimist anyway when it comes to Spurs. It's what happens when you watch them for as long as I have. But um, I don't know. I, I've got a feeling it's going to be a 1-1 one, one draw myself. I hope I'm wrong, but I just think that... Uh, I think they'll probably want it a little bit more than us and I can see them getting a draw. I'll take Unfor- a draw rather than a loss. Sorry, yeah. Simon. I'll yeah, take yeah, a draw. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm saying the same thing. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I imagine, you know, obviously in my, I'll probably have nightmares for the rest of the week of seeing him, you know, storming down the touchline, <laughs> racing, racing to the Villa fans to serenade them at the end of the match, which will, which may happen, but you know, <laughs> I'm going three two. <laughs> Uh, just a, I don't know if it's the right time to, to throw this in. I think we are talking about scores and you know potential uh, league placings. I always think it's an interesting topic that always arises around about this time of the season when um, the, the prospect of playing in the Europa League and whether it's a good or a bad thing seems to come up. Mm. And I mean, I've got mm. I've got quite strong opinions on that anyway, to be truthful. And uh, obviously, whether we draw or win or lose next week, we've got what five or six games left, and. I'd hate to think that the Spurs players are going to tip up with the same sort of performance levels for the rest of the season because we could end up finishing about eighth if we do that. Mm. And and my personal opinion on the Europa League is that we should definitely try and get into it and definitely try and win it. And, you know, that's that's just how I see it. I think that there's no point dreaming about aspiring to play in the Champions League or playing in the Champions League if you're not ready. And we're not, we're not ready yet as a club. Um, we can barely do it in the Europa. If you take Chelsea as an example, and I know people are going to say, well, Chelsea have got a stronger squad, blah, blah, blah. They've got the resources, all all of that. They won the Europa um, a few seasons back, two seasons back. I know that they they had fallen out of the Champions League that season, and that in itself is, I think it's wrong. But they went on to win the Europa. They got on with it. They played Thursday, Sunday. Yeah, they 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 had a squad to deal with that. But they did that. And there have been other teams as well. If you go back a few years ago, Porto, I remember, under Mourinho, they won, they beat Celtic in the Europa um, League or the UEFA Cup as it then was. And the following season, they won the Champions League um, while Mourinho was still their manager. So we've got to do it in, in the Euro- Europa competition. And if we want to, if we want to progress to that next level, then we've got to be doing it on a regular basis and stop making excuses for ourselves. So I don't think that I think I think Pochettino is a professional manager and or sorry professional enough manager in his outlook to games that I think he'll he'll be taking all the Premier League games seriously and, and trying to to get us to finish as high up as possible, which of course will mean um, that we qualify. So you know I think it's a good good comp- competition and and I'd like us to win it. Yes, it's a, it's a bit annoying playing Thursday Sunday, but. That's just part and parcel. That's a double-edged sword for me as well, because to be quite truthful with you, uh, when the games get switched to Sunday, it's a nightmare for me to make them. That's half the reason why I let my season ticket go this year, because I knew that I could, I just I can't do the Sundays as often as I want to, because I've got kids who play on Sunday. Mm. But at the same mm. time, you know, I still think that playing on a Thursday and a Sunday shouldn't be that much different from playing on a Wednesday and a Saturday. It clearly is, because it has effects on teams. Mm. But then, in my opinion that's a sign that your squad isn't good enough and you've still got to keep improving it. 
Definitely. It's Absolutely. not a question of let's not enter that tournament or let's not take it seriously because we won't win it. It's why won't we win that tournament? Maybe we need better players. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But, but someone, uh, and I, I really do forget who it was, but somebody in the group said this week that um, we're a stepping stone um, um, club and that a lot of players won't, we not we don't attract the big names because we're a stepping stone club and, and players will come to us um, only because they want to be noticed and then be able to advance to the bigger clubs. Do you agree with that? I mean, I know we're not one of the big boys, but really, should we be dismissed that easily? Uh, do you mind if I comment on that? I mean, I, I personally think um, it's a sad state of affairs, but I have to say that, yeah, there's an element of that without a shadow of a doubt. And I think okay. the thing is, it's like, for example, I, I, I it's probably, I'm sure you can quote thousands of examples where I'm going to be proven wrong here, but it seems to me that, let's take Vertonghen, for example. Vertonghen was at Ajax and made a big name for himself. Clearly not a big enough name for himself that Barcelona wanted him or Madrid wanted him or even United, Chelsea, uh, Man City. They didn't show much of an interest. So, in that second tier of clubs, which I'd include yeah. Spurs in, yeah. we, we were able to get him. So then what happens is he signs a four or five year, let's say four years, he signs a four year deal. Spurs will keep him for the first season, no two ways about it. The second season, if he's played well, then he will attract attention from other clubs. And inevitably, yeah. if he wants to go, I mean, I'm, you know, I know there's pros and cons and arguments you can have all day about this, but the bail situation and with players previous... I believe if a player makes his mind up he wants to go, then really it's a waste of time keeping him. I mean, I, th I thought Levy did fantastic to get an extra season out of Modric and then make sure he didn't go to one of our domestic rivals. But yeah. ultimately, you, I, you know, I don't think it's fair to stand in a player's way when he wants to go on to a club like Madrid. And at the same time, when that player's made his mind up he wants to go, I think it's a waste of time. You're not going to get the best out of him. And of course, you yeah. run the risk of letting him run his contract down and then getting no money for him. So you can't even try and replace him. So the point I'm trying to make in a long-winded way is you get a player like Vertonghen, he signs a four-year deal. If he sees that four-year deal out, it's usually because he hasn't hit the heights and progressed as a player. He's probably still done a great job for us, but for whatever reason, he hasn't done enough to attract the attention of Madrid, Barcelona, etc., etc. Mm. So you almost get these players on a two-year cycle because they come, um, okay. you know, they're... They, they, they want to make a name for themselves. If they make a name for themselves, Spurs benefit, but only in the short term because ultimately they will move on to the clubs that can pay them more money and offer them more chance of winning silverware. It's a, it's a real double-edged sword. And I think, again, I'm rambling a little bit about this one, but I remember when we got to the Champions League, I honestly think we had an awful lot of luck there because we'd got Modric, who was exactly one of those type of players, came from wherever he came from, Croatia, didn't attract the massive clubs. They weren't interested, so he came to Spurs. Had a dodgy first season, but then got better and better, and was a massive focal point in that season when when we got to the Champions League. We also had Bale, who'd been at the club for probably three, four years at that stage, and he just about you know hit the ground and at last showed the well more than the potential that we thought he was going to be. To be fair, and then you got the catalyst to dropping little Van der Vaart in there as well. It was a bit of a bargain out of the blue. So we almost got three absolute top draw players playing for us at the same time. But yeah. that, that doesn't happen very often because, you know, Vertonghen, as I say, let's not kid ourselves. If Vertonghen had had a really, really good season again last year, as good as his first one, then he probably would have been snapped up by Barcelona. And there's not an awful lot Spurs can do about it. 
Yeah, but you know, obviously, you know, we are at the minute, I think, totally in the ascendancy, you know, regardless of being maybe in that sort of just that second tier of, uh, you know, European clubs, you know, we're going in totally the right direction that if maybe after a couple of seasons, we do manage to get into the Champions League and sustain it that, you know, we we would then soon be seen as a, you know, to be seen in the hierarchy, you know, in the hierarchy with the state, you know, with the ground, if, uh, if and when, and, um, you know, I think it could easily happen. We could easily move up, you know, move up there, but we have to be in the, you, you know, the Europa, UEFA, whatever you want to call it, we have to be there. There's, you know, no two ways about it. Well, if nothing else, I mean, to be quite truthful, talking about the Europa League, if nothing else, from a fan's perspective, and again, I've, I'm, I'm sure, you know, a lot of us have, I've been lucky enough to see Spurs win things. I've also seen us lose things. I've been to finals when we've won and lost. And to be quite honest, if you talk about purely memories as a fan, my, one of my best memories of watching Tottenham was actually the 87 Cup final. We actually got beat. But the day itself and everything that went with it was absolutely fantastic. And I would dare to suggest that if you spoke to the majority of Chelsea fans who actually went to see the European Champions League final and went to see the Europa League final, I bet they have got equally fond memories of both nights Mm. because it's what you remember, you know? So from that perspective, Mm. from a purely fan's perspective, I don't care if it's a Johnson's crown paints final or whatever they call it. If if Spurs got there and we were at Wembley, you would love the day and it'd be fantastic. So I'm a firm believer that if you're in it, you try and win it. Simple as that. Absolutely. Um, Mickey, just coming back to your question, all I was going to say was, I think at the moment, that's where we are. Um, I don't, I don't want to use the word a stepping stone club, but I know what you mean. That, that, that's, I think, where we are. Now, if we qualified for the Champions League, say, next season, then that would help keep some of those players and hopefully attract um, other bigger signings and, and help us move forward as a club in the way that if, you know, for instance, if we'd qualified for the Champions League, um, on a consistent basis under Harry and and um, AVB, that might have helped kept you know the likes of Modric and, and Bale and, and whatnot. Um, the trouble is, it, it's all going to come down to time. I think Poch will have all of next season, and I think that I genuinely believe that the likes of the Tongan and Lloris and, and Ericsson and so forth, Kane for that matter, will be with the club next season. But if we don't qualify for the Champions League next summer, then I can see one or two of them going, which would be unfortunate. Yeah, I agree. No, totally agree. Um, just, just really quickly before before we do questions, uh, I just noticed so Villa are playing. Um, they've got another match before they play us. So they're playing QPR on Tuesday at home. Mm, big game. And uh, they've got quite a few. Tim Sherwood's got quite a few tough games. So he's got QPR at home, then us, then Man City away, um, all in April. Um, they've got an easier run in towards the end. My prediction for Saturday is we'll win 2-1. Um, Bentalab will be man of the match, of course. Um, <laughs> Sherwood will take, take credit for that. And Kane, Kane, Kane and Ericsson will score. And Sherwood will take credit for that as well. So uh, <laughs> everybody's a winner. Yeah, exactly. All goals. Or by the fruit of his loins. Fantastic. <laughs> right. Uh, before we do questions, Nicky, there's been a few um, recent developments with the Tottenham Hotspur family podcast Facebook page. Would you like to tell us all about that? Yeah, um, we decided to create, you know, we've got the Tottenham Hotspur family group and um, 
we do this podcast as part of that group. But we decided that we wanted to get more input from other Tottenham Hotspur fans and supporters. So we decided to create the page. But in order to get more, I don't know, exposure to the podcast as such, we've decided that we're going to ask fans to to assist us with providing their own feelings and thoughts and inputs about the team and and certain aspects of the game, call it as such. So Guy, who's on our panel this evening, we asked him what his thoughts were about summer transfers and who he thought would be staying and, and who would be leaving. And we're going to be doing a three-part um, um, auditorial uh, editorial about it. And you know, we've just published the first one, which he speaks about the defenders. Next week, we talk about the midfielders. And then the week after, we're going to talk about the strikers. So it's really just so that the the people who like the page don't necessarily get a chance to listen to the podcast, or that's, although that's our goal. We want you to listen to our podcast and enjoy it. But we're also just wanting the fans to be able to to give their thoughts and their feelings about Tottenham Hotspur. And, you know, it's not about reading everything that's in the press because, you know, let's be honest, we don't agree with everything that's written in the press. It's all opinion-based. Everybody's entitled to opinion. So if you feel that you would like to contribute, please contact us and we'd love to publish some of your work on our on our uh, Tottenham Hotspur Family podcast page. I should just add... Um, to, uh... My thanks to Guy for um, for publishing that, or sorry, writing that article. Um, it was a really good read, and having already seen what's going to be, um, what's going to be on the on the well, sorry, what's going to be what's going to be available in parts two and three. Um, I'm quite looking forward um, to that once once that's um, available to to a wider audience. And I should also add, Nikki, anybody who it, it's not obviously we're, we're we're trying to promote the podcast, and that's great. Um, but also to anyone, um, whether they're a member of the, um, the Facebook group or not, um, you know, anybody who's got a passion for Tottenham Hotspur, um, it's just a great platform for you to write and um, absolutely and get get your work noticed and get your thoughts noticed. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Guy, for for, for doing that. Yeah, thanks for asking me. It was good fun. Right, let's do some questions. So, Liam Hennessy asks, do you agree with Graham Roberts, um, ex-Spurs player, opinion that Mason and Benslab have a tendency to overplay the ball? And I'm going to go to Guy with this one. Okay, well, first and foremost, who am I to argue with the great Graham Roberts, who is one of my favourite players from my favourite era? But um, I think there's more to it, if I'm honest. I think they do, on occasion, well, let's face it, we're we're quite ponderous in our build-up. Um, I think it was again shown today, although, you know, there were other extenuating circumstances, perhaps the way we played today. But nonetheless, even when Spurs are playing well, they're not what I'd call one, two, three passes and we're in their box. You know, it, it is quite ponderous. And I think playing two deeper line midfield players will possibly make it look even worse because obviously a lot of your ball is being played by players that are deeper. But I think sometimes because we play the way we play and I don't think we've got absolutely natural wide players Townsend obviously when he plays but today for example I I hate to see Ericsson pushed out to either side myself I think he should I've said it before he should play behind the striker in that 10 role and the team should be built round him that's my opinion but when he plays wide right or wide left Chadley the same on the other side 
neither of them offers that much width. So then when you pick the ball up in the midfield, the two players, Bentaleb and Mason, they haven't always got a lot of options to go forward. So you tend to find them playing it square to the fullbacks. Because obviously if the fullbacks can't bomb on every single time and, until there's space for them to move into. So I think, while I would agree with what Robert says in so much that, yeah, it is a little bit ponderous and sometimes they don't always look for a forward pass, I think that's possibly um, a result of playing one up front on his own and not playing with any natural width. You don't think they've got enough 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 of an outlet for them, or no? Exactly, that's it. I, I, you know, I, we, they're still a young team. It's still a young side. We've, you know, and um, it's potentially a good side. But I, I do honestly think, and it's something I've thought all of the, all season, to be honest. Let's face it. At the start of the season, there was a lot of moaning going on about the way we were playing and how ponderous it was. Mm. Um, and while I think Mason, Mason and Bentaleb, they're both you know stars of the future, certainly. Without wanting to put a dampener on his on his week when he's made an England debut, I I still think Mason's a long way away from the the finished article, as I'm sure most would agree. And I just think sometimes neither of them are the most creative of players. And I think sometimes where you've got an Ericsson when Ericsson's on the ball, which again is why I want to see him in the middle of the park. When he's on the ball, he's probably the only player we've got who sees a pass quickly and first time, and he can nip what he can you know nip balls around the corner. He can put him in between fullback and centre half. He can get wide players coming in. So twofold, really. You put Ericsson out wide and that negates that straight away. Mm. And then when you've got Bentaleb and Mason, who are possibly not as creative as Ericsson, they, their first thought, they, they perhaps don't see the picture as quick as he does and they have to take that extra touch before they play the ball. And it just tends to slow it all down. You saw numerous examples of it today. I mean, the, the one that stands out for me, and I know he got loads of pelters, in, in my opinion, justified today, but that's another story. But there was a, a situation developed today when Ericsson broke. And he must have run with the ball about 30 yards. But then I thought he displayed what I think is a little bit of a lack of confidence at the minute because he didn't commit anybody. He ended up playing the ball a little bit early out wide to Walker, who was bombing past him. But then Walker looked up, hadn't got anybody in the middle to hit. So he had to take a touch yeah. and he stopped it. And he stopped the ball. And that, from, from the opportunity to sort of play, Ericsson could have committed a defender and played Walker in. And then you play the ball early to Walker. He looks up, there's nobody there. And he has to stop the ball. And it, it slows it all down again. So I think, again, long-winded way of answering the question, but the initial question about what Robert said, I think, yes, they do tend to be a little bit too slow moving the ball around sometimes. But I don't necessarily think that's entirely down to them. I think it's possibly the way we set up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think I think a few people said it. I mean, I still think as well as having Ericsson, you know, maybe... Even though it's fantastic that we're developing all these great young players, and I do think that is the way forward in every respect, you know, and having younger players. But I think someone with a bit more experience, possibly, as well as Ericsson in that sort of position, uh, would be fantastic to maybe sort of almost, you know, help keep the fluidity, you know, keep coax the passes out of them and that sort of thing. And for everyone to have confidence, you know, another player for people to have confidence in. I don't know, it's just a thought. But, uh, no, I agree. Hmm. We've got um, Alex Pritchard, who's out on loan at Brentford at the moment, and Carol, Tom Carroll at, at Swansea. Um, would, would you welcome the return of those players in, into the first team, or do you think they, they can make a difference, or or should we be looking at... I know it's great that, that, that Poch is bringing on the young players, but do you think we need to start to maybe bring one or two experienced heads in there? 
well, per- sorry to take over again, yeah, but <laughs> personally, <laughs> I haven't seen anything of Pritchard, but everything I read about him is supposed to be good. And he's had a, he's by all accounts had a blinding season with Brentford. I know it's a league down, but you can only do what's in front of you. And by all accounts, Pritchard's ripped that division apart. He's done brilliantly. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. And yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want to give too much away, but I'll apologise in advance because I think I've completely overlooked him in, the, in my midfield article. <laughs> but um, certainly Pritchard is, a, is a, an interesting prospect for next season. But again, I know I'll get pelters off certain people for this. I, I don't have it with Tommy Carroll at all, I'm afraid. I think he's a very tidy player. I think he's a, he's a technically good footballer. But that's pretty much all he is. For me, I watched him quite a bit the season when he made a breakthrough and he played quite a few games. Mm. And although he doesn't give the ball away too much, but then he didn't create much. I can't remember him scoring a goal. He might have got one, but I can't remember him having many shots at goal. Good player, probably a lovely lad, and I really hope he does well. But I don't think he's going to bring anything to the table that we haven't got already. Yeah, what's um, he done at Swansea this season? Now, how, how's he got In on? and out, I think. I, know, yeah. I, think he's, I think he's been playing recently, but picked an injury up. But I, again, I think that's indicative of, he, of, of the man himself in so much that we've heard no sort of massive feedback coming through. Whereas Pritchard, 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 yeah. he's, he's getting spoken about every week. Absolutely. I looked at those, um, someone put some you know, different bits of games that but you know he's played with Brentford on last night but, uh, they were you know, they were excellent um you know he definitely Carol looked like everyone was saying the new Modric didn't they when uh, when he first sort of uh, started playing a few seasons ago and thought possibly but it does seem that he has just you know so, somehow hasn't quite you know maintained that form so although yes I would welcome them there's De- there's the is it Deli Addy as well uh, to come back in or to yeah, you know, come and join mm. us as well. He's another one in that position, I think, uh, from what I know of him. I might be might be wrong. He might be more of a striker. But um, no, I, think I still, right. I still think, think someone, yeah, someone just still think that even though they're all potentially could almost go into the first team squad, maybe meaning that we would have to shave or, you know, lose someone in that, uh, you know, in those positions that maybe still someone with some experience would be would be great, yeah. Mm. I think one way of looking at it as well is, and this is off the top of my head, but we've watched that game today, which is possibly a, a bad example because it was appalling. But you look at that game today and you ask yourself, if Tommy Carroll had played there today instead of any one of them midfield players, would it have made any difference? And I think my answer would be, no, it wouldn't. Yeah. Whereas Pritchard, again, I haven't seen him in the flesh. I haven't seen much of him at all. But again, from what we're hearing, he might have well have been the sort of fellow who could have took hold of that game and maybe maybe did something. I mean, personally, Ericsson's the man that's... We really need that fellow on top form. And he's had a run of probably 10, 12 games now where it just hasn't been working for him. Mm. Yeah, it hasn't. He's not been scoring. Do you not think that's affecting his confidence? Well, I think so. I mean, I've said this elsewhere. But, and again, I've, I said to somebody, I think I was talking to my son, I said, if you, if you YouTube Christian Eriksen and have a look at some of the clips when he was playing for Ajax, yeah, absolutely. He, he was beating players for fun. He was mm. just, you know, beating two or three players in a, in a two or three mm. yard space, opening defences up all the time. I don't know. Obviously, we don't know what the fella's like as a person, but he just, maybe it's just the way he looks. He just looks to me like a fella who needs an arm around him. He needs to have the absolute massive confidence running through him to go out yeah. and do it. Yeah, and totally. he looks as if he, you know, I mean, he might, he might get his confidence just knocked a little bit just by the odd bad game. And I think that's where the coach has got to get hold of him. I mean, personally, I'd be building a team around him, but you know, yeah, he's got, he's got to do it. He's, he, you can't just keep talking about him. And I think um, he's a, he, overall, he's had a pretty poor second half of the season, if I'm honest. 
Yeah, you, you need to you need to play him in the right position though. But but in all due fairness, you've also got to have the right support around him. Yeah. There's no point in, in him being in the right position or being the right player that you want if you're not getting the supported balls and and he can't play the way he normally plays because the players around him are crap. And 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 that goes against everything that I've said earlier about about the team because regardless how you feel about who is in the squad whether it's your A team or what you consider to be the B team players, they're Tottenham players. Whether they've come up through the ranks or whether they've been bought, they're putting on the shirt, they've chosen to come to Tottenham, suck it up and support them. That's my bottom line. But if he is not getting the support, and this is Ericsson, if he's not getting the support that he deserves, then he's not going to play the game that he should play in order to put us into those winning positions. So I agree, Guy. He's had a really, really poor second half this season, but I don't necessarily think that's all down to him. I think it comes down to how the games fall, you know, play out and, and what kind of balls he's getting. I, I've always said that I think that he needs to man up a little bit and he needs to get stuck in with a couple of the tackles because I think he can be a little bit on the feminine side with, with you know, when it comes to the nitty-gritty of, of getting stuck into the game. But... There's no denying that he is probably our most talented, skilled player and also the one who has got the the best football mind. He's able to read the game. He is so smart, so talented. So if I were the coach, I would definitely build the game around him without a doubt. So I don't want to be seen to be making excuses for Ericsson, but I think that he's... If you look over the last few months, he's been moved around quite a bit. Sometimes he's on the left, sometimes he's on the, he's in the centre. I don't think that's particularly helped. Um, no, him. exactly. Think, that's I, my point. Yeah. I, I think I think the, the point you made, Nicky, about the, the personnel around him has has is also quite telling. If if you go back to, um, I don't know, around about Christmas time um, or early January, um, Chadley was really on fo- on form at that point yeah. in the time. Yeah. And then Chadley, um, is. Unfortunately, his father passed away and he was on compassionate leave. And it took a while for Chadley to get back into the team. And, and when he's come back into the team, he's never quite been the same player. No, that's bang on. That's, that might have affected Ericsson. Um, also, I'm not basing this on... Um, I, I could be wrong here, but it's just off the top, top of my head. Um, I think the last time that Ericsson scored for us was his brace against Sheffield United. I can't seem to recall that he's got any goals for us... Um, since, notwithstanding that deflected effort against Leicester, which I think was an own goal. It was an own goal, yeah. Um, he's not been on the score sheet, and if you consider that's Ericsson, Chadley, over that time frame, both of them haven't been doing well. Obviously, Harry Kane's been banging the goals. That's, that's not... prob- it's probably got something to do with it, though. Mm. I, you know, you you would have thought, uh, you know, a psychological thing, you know, obviously the fact that Harry's been so, you know, so fantastic, um, you know, and it's it's maybe it's quite typical of us as well that as well as have you know we're never going to have more than one player scoring consistently. I don't know. I think the point um, we've probably all touched on it to be fair, but the point with Ericsson is, um, and, and this is notwithstanding the fact that Pochettino sees him training every day, so obviously he knows a lot more about what's going on than we do. But I still mm. maintain that of all the players we've got, Ericsson must play in that hole in the middle of the park behind the striker. If yeah. you're going to play him out wide, then personally, don't play. I wouldn't even pick him because there are better players to play wide than Christian Eriksen. 
Yeah. And I just think sometimes yeah. I'm not criticising Pochettino because he's still getting to grips. Even now, he's probably still getting to grips with his best formations and best systems for certain games. Um, but I'm a firm believer that it, you know you, you wouldn't you wouldn't look at Hugo Lloris and, my, and Michel Vorm and think well they both deserve to play so I'll put Vorm on the wing. Vorm's a goalkeeper so he plays in nets. And for me, although Eriksson's obviously capable of playing other positions, his best position for me is right in the middle of the park because he's on the ball more and he can go both ways. Whereas if you put him out on the wide right, he's mm. really only got one dimension. He can only come in. Yeah, but he's fairly you know Pochettino. I'm you know definitely seems a, a fairly set uh you know set manager he knows exactly what he wants to do i think he wants to have all of those uh you know those players interchanging um so he obviously wants to strong you know keep pushing his you know keep keep pushing you know keep pushing his ideas and uh you know get them all playing like it you know regardless possibly of um, yeah yeah i think that's a good know, point Simon. Builds, that is know. a good that's a good point and it might be that pochettino's looking long term to make Ericsson a more rounded player you know that that might be one of the things because he's, he's obviously capable of playing there because he's, he's technically a very good footballer Yeah. Mm. but I just think Tottenham as a team lose um, a lot of our uh, attacking flair when he's put out wide yeah no, I, totally, I absolutely agree absolutely agree it's a strange thing isn't it if you are doing some of that developing of players as you go but you know sometimes you might have to sacrifice something it's it must be a minefield of you know of how you how you go about it. Yeah, um, really. I, well, funnily enough, the situation about with Paulinho. Um, I mean, I I feel for the fella because I actually rated the bloke when I saw him in Brazil. He looked a good. I thought he was a good signing oh, yeah. for us. And I, I think agree. it was touched. Yeah, it was touched on this week on the on the Facebook page that he'd been likened to a, a similar type of player as Frank Lampard. And you know that's high praise indeed. And I can say that now that he's left Chelsea. I've actually allowed myself to like Frank Lampard now he left <laughs> Chelsea. But um, certainly Paulinho's game looked to me like about getting past the forwards and getting on the end of things. And he's, he's never had the chance to do that for Spurs. He's, you know, the very limited number of times he's been played in his preferred position. Now, that might well be the situation being that in the formation that Pochettino plays, it's very difficult to accommodate Ericsson and Paulinho in their favoured positions. Um, I mean, saying that, you know, didn't happen for Paulinho today, bless him, and that, that might well be his curtain call. It perhaps, yeah. perhaps will be gone in the summer, who knows? Yeah. Um, moving along, Kev Cousins asks, shouldn't some of the money pulled in at the top level be fed into grassroots? Isn't that the way to develop footballers, give them better coaching facilities at a younger age? Um, Guy, you've got sons that play football. Yeah, um, to tell you the truth, Jav, this is a situation where you could, you're probably going to need 25 podcasts back to back on this one because this is something that really, really, I feel very, very passionately about this. I've seen it at all levels. I've been lucky enough to be involved with academies. Um, I've coached from six to 16 for, tw- well, 20 years. This is the first, second season I haven't coached, but I'm still involved with kids' football. And there's a lot of myths. Um, fed to us by the media about um, the lack of quality coaches at grassroots levels. There's a lot of it's true, of course, but it's been papered over terribly with the introduction of few years, well, many years back of the uh, the FA level one, two and three coaching badges. Absolute joke, absolute waste of time. I've seen people, I mean, I don't want to go on about this because like I say, I could talk all night. The, the money needs to get fed into the grassroots football without a shadow of a doubt but it needs to get fed in properly. Mm. And, and in my opinion, 
not just funding um, for the, or offering the facility for anybody who wants to go along and take a quality uh, a qualification and become an FA coach, because literally that is how it was. I mean, I'm, it might have changed slightly in the last couple of three years, but I had to do a level one. Uh, basically, you have to do a level one badge so that enables you to then coach kids. But I've seen people who couldn't kick a ball, they couldn't kick a football, and they were just getting passed. Now, I understand the, the motivation behind that because ultimately, if you've got a kids team that's just started at under six level and you can't get someone to run it, then inevitably a dad steps forward, which is admirable. And I've got nothing but respect for people who put the time in because I know how time consuming it can be. Mm. But ultimately, it has a detrimental effect long term if you've got people who really can't coach football, coaching football, if that makes any sense. So the money seems to have been pumped in to sort of almost paper over cracks and the FA not so much recently as I say but it went through a phase where the FA could say look you know we've, we've put all this money in and we're getting people through their badges we've got all these qualified coaches now but in actual fact in reality they just they weren't coaches it'd be like me being given an HEV license and been told to go and teach that bloke to drive a lorry mm. and it, you know there's a lot more to it don't get me wrong there's there's much much more to it as I say it's a massive subject which I'm looking by the way I'm looking forward to reading when you write that next article um, that's going to be the Bible. I'm serious, by the way, guy. Cause I think that that's a, as you say, that's a topic in, topic in itself. Definitely. And unless you've got children and experience of, um, of coaching yourself and, and, and children who, who are involved um, with playing the game, um, you're, not, you're probably not going to be the best person qualified to talk about that subject. I, I certainly... Uh, um, 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 aren't the best person. I'm not. I'm, I'm far from the best person to talk about that. But it sounds as though you are. So um, I do look forward to um, to you putting pen to paper and, and and writing an article. Yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to do that as well. Um, I mean, I would. I should stress as well, of course, that I'm only going on my personal experience. Although it is reasonably wide ranging. As I said, I've been lucky enough to be to to have cert- to have seen firsthand how academies work in certainly in the Midlands. I've been to probably most of the Midlands clubs at some point. Um, but yeah, it, it's a massive topic and not one that, if with respect, not one that you can probably do justice to on a podcast, as I think you've touched on there. It would probably mm. take some writing down to get to get every, all my thoughts down. But in answer to Kev, was it Kev who asked the question? Yes, Certainly yeah. the money has got to be fed through to grassroots, in my opinion, but it's got to be done properly and not just as a, as a lip service type thing that the FA can turn around and say, well, we've just given £2 million to grassroots football. It's got to be. It's got to be done properly, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, just moving on because we've still got a few questions I want to get through. Um, Jerome James asks, "What's your second team and why?" Maybe you don't have a second team, um, Nikki. Um, my second team is Southampton, and for no other reason than. My best mate is um, Kevin Byrne, and he's he lives in the UK. And I've known Kevin for about uh, 15 years now, and he supports Southampton. He does also support the Man U's and the Man Cities and whatever the case may be. I won't hold that against him. I do believe he's a Cosa Tottenham supporter, and he's going to listen to this podcast and know that I've said out in public, Kevin Byrne is a Cosa Tottenham supporter. <laughs> but I like Southampton. I do like I do like them. They're not arrogant. They're not they're not these other teams um, 
there's just something about them. And they're consistently good, you know. They're always sort of, you know, they, they're always about, you know, after 10, before 20, you know, they, they're good. And and I think for me the biggest thing is that they're not an arrogant bunch of so-and-sos like the other teams um, who sort of are in that sort of range, what um, West Ham, um, I'm trying to think of the top of my head, Aston Villa, although they're lower now. Um, there's a lot of other teams where you just think, oh, they're nobodies, you know. Um, but that's why I like Southampton, mm-hmm. mostly because of Kev and probably just because I, I don't think they're arrogant. That's why. Mm-hmm. And good Pochettino shout. came from them. <laughs> indeed. Good, good shout. Simon, your, your second team must be Villa, surely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've just been washing my uh, my Villa away kit this morning, actually. No, um, don't, I don't know. Um, probably uh, a strange one, Passos de Ferreira. <laughs> the mighty Passos de Ferreira. Oh, I was going to say them. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I thought you were. I thought you were. Portuguese team, um, who, incidentally, today is their 65th birthday. And uh, I see that they've been laying wreaths at the uh, founding forefathers' graves <laughs> just outside Porto. Portuguese team. My wife and I, we've spent a lot of time in Portugal in the last sort of 13 years or something like this. And in Portugal, everywhere you go, football is just like pumped into your brain. It's fantastic mm. that, you know, any kind of restaurant, you know, there will always be a football match on. Um, it's, you know, it's fantastic. It is Fairly, uh, you know, Benfica, Sporting, Porto, predominant, you know, everywhere you go. Um, you know, even in the strangest, smallest, vi- or even in the smallest village in the mountains somewhere outside of the country, you'll find Benfica, you know, mainly Benfica fans. So we've been to a few different matches while we've been there. They're all really easy to access and get into football games over there. Really cheap uh, and enjoyable sort of atmospheres. Um, but just didn't feel any of the teams. We've seen Benfica, Porto, just never quite felt them. And uh, we literally just, you know, my wife said one day, let's let's just go for a random team like Passos de Ferreira. And it turned out that they were quite near to where we were uh, sort of staying at the time, which is just outside Porto, uh, which is a really lovely part of the country. And, uh, you know, I've, we've just picked up on them totally randomly about five years ago, you know, for a bit of a laugh. And, uh, and that's it. Um, I suppose there's a few other teams that I keep my eye out for, but, uh, you know, I just find it difficult to have a second team personally, you know, even I'd been living here in Ipswich now for, I don't know, however, however many years, 12 years or something like that. And I guess really I should have gone to watch the, uh, the tractor boys who are, who are just down the road from where I am at the minute, but I haven't. The only time I've been there is to watch Spurs reserves beat them 2-1 many years ago. Um, and I dream for the days that the uh, the town or the Towen, as they pronounce it down here, go up into the uh, <laughs> into the Premier League, so I can stand in the away end and uh, shout abuse at them. Uh, I just don't just don't quite feel them, unfortunately, mm-hmm. especially when they can't make it difficult you, to park outside my house as well. Why did you end up there then? How, how, why did you end up living there? Uh, we, it's going to sound really bad. It's going to sound totally capitalist. We totally moved here for house prices, basically. I was going to say witness protection. Witness, no, yeah, something like that. I had to get out of Tottenham. No, no. Had had, had children, lived in London, could only afford a, oh, you know, a small place there, came to Ipswich where we could afford a bigger house. Simple as that. 
So uh, that's the answer. Passos de Ferreira, happy birthday. Happy 65th birthday to the mighty Passos today. And they lay wreaths at their birthday celebration. Yeah, well... Their wakes wake must be desperately be done no, then. Wreaths at the forefathers' grave. You know, the, the graves yeah. that the forefathers have gone to. Yeah, they look like they're having a mighty time. <laughs> <laughs> but I did also see very strangely that they had... They, I think they played sporting yesterday and they had a... Um, they had a drone fly past the main stand and it sort of let out a couple of free shirts as it went past. That's about the extent of the excitement that it gets at Passos giving away some free shirts by a drone. Mighty. Anyway, yeah. What about yourself, Guy? <laughs> uh, my second team changes every week, to be honest. It's whoever's playing Arsenal. But um, no, joking aside... I, if I, I don't, I can't confess to, uh, to taking that much interest. But if I had to, if I was pushed to name a second team, it'd be Birmingham. Quite simply because I was born there, um, and I, I've got a somewhat pathological and irrational hatred of Aston Villa um, <laughs> for various reasons. Not nothing to do with Sherwood. Yeah, it's yeah. long, long-standing. <laughs> so of the two, I've always said uh, I'd be if I if I hadn't have followed Tottenham from such a young and r- ridiculous age, I would have probably been a Birmingham fan because that would have been an awful lot cheaper. And also an awful lot less successful. So while I wouldn't swap my Lily White Tottenham shirt, I'd be looking out for Birmingham's results if uh, if pushed to name a second team. Well, I'm going to go with Swansea at the moment, only because um, I like the way they play football. Um, ever since they got promoted both under Rodgers and then Loudrap and now particularly under Gary Monk, they play the play football in the right way. Um, they don't have the resources of a Man City or a Chelsea or whoever else, but they've managed to stay up, consolidate a position in the Premier League, qualify for Europe, win a trophy, whilst maintaining playing football a certain way, the right way. So, yeah, I'd, I'd go with Swansea. Fair share. Right, final couple, of, final couple of questions. Paul Simon... Um, we do read your questions out, Paul. Paul Simon asks, if the Grim Reaper offered you a deal, how many days, weeks or years of your life would you trade away to play one season for Spurs? So you're not going to get paid, but um, the Grim Reaper gives you the necessary skills and lifestyle. <laughs> Mickey. This is why your questions don't get read out, Paul Simon, because they're shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Paul. Don't get upset. Don't block me on Facebook. Um, <laughs> don't flounce. And you've sworn. You managed to get don't this far flounce. without swearing, Nikki, and you've just sworn. <laughs> I know, but it was the S word, which is better than all the other words I was saying before we started recording. <laughs> um, oh, goodness. I was thinking about this question, and and honestly, I'm a girl, so what do I know about football? Hey, guys. <laughs> as much as any of us. Oh, yeah. love you, Guy. Too right. Um, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I actually, I did read the question. I didn't give it much thought. I do apologize. So let's move on to the next person. <laughs> Guy? Uh, sorry. I um... yeah, it's, uh, It is a difficult... I understand it's a bit of fun, isn't it? But I don't know. I... I'm going to sound all dippy and ridiculously pathetic and soppy now, but the fact that I've got my kids, I wouldn't swap a five-minute spell with them kids to go and play for anybody. So I'm oh, afraid I'm so glad you I said would, that. I would turn oh. down the offer. Oh, I'm so glad you I'd said I'd that. I'd flip oh. the bird to the Grim Reaper and say, come and get me any time you want, mate, but I'm not selling you anything. 
Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with Guy. <laughs> I bailed you out there, Simon. Yeah, thank you, no, thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I'm the soppy git. He was going to say it anyway. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> But I can now. <laughs> I, I suppose I've, I've got to break ranks here. Um, so I, I would, uh, what would I do? My people would talk to the Grim Reapers, Reapers people and, and would, <laughs> would, would negotiate a deal. Um, so subject to, uh, you know, pay and whatever else and this, that and the other bonuses. Um, I've already sold that... my soul to the devil anyway, so I'm <laughs> kind of halfway there. I didn't get any performances for Spurs out of that, by the way. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think I think no, actually, what, what you said, guy. I think, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to give up five minutes of my life just to play for Spurs. As much as I'd love to play for Spurs, but you wouldn't want to give up five minutes, an hour of your life. Surely, it's it's all about your your natural instinct is is to survive. So unless it was retrospective, and I could go through the last fifty years and pick out and build up all an, a, an aggregate of time. For example, I'd take all the time I spent at the dentist's, which would probably add up to about a week, and then I'd look at other times when I've been ill, and I'd, I'd build up a year that way. But uh, I don't suppose that's the deal, is it really? Here, Grim Reaper, did, have have some did, of the shitty times I've had over the last fifty years, but I don't I don't <laughs> think that's in context really. I don't think that's what was. Well, uh, I, I don't know. As I said, it's open to ne- ne- negotiation. You could sit down with the Grim Reaper, see if you could strike out a deal, and if it doesn't work out, you could. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, <laughs> slipping I'm, the bird. I'm absolutely bowled over that you've actually got a direct line to the Grim Reaper, Java. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a fellow who's actually negotiated his own life terms now. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> Um, okay final question we couldn't have a podcast without a question from kent goodrich so kent asks what's worse having a sex organ that glows like et's finger whenever you're around an uh, you when, whenever you are around an attractive person or having an ass that plays circus music whenever you need to use the toilet oh <laughs> circus ass any day <laughs> it's gotta be that Really? Yeah. Because I, I would have thought, you know, if if your if your finger starts to glow and somebody notices that, well, it's sort of, you know, it's a bit like blushing or whatever, and 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 they'll probably think that they'll be flattered. Whereas if if I need to go to the toilet, I don't want other people to know that I need to go to the toilet or whatever. I mean, just imagine. Also, if you're like I don't know, in 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 the sh- in, in in the shopping markets, a supermarket somewhere, and, and you're in Waitrose, and you really need to go to the toilet, and then suddenly you start to play circus music. Surely it follows that if you start if you if you start to play circus music out, out of your ass, your muscles are going to loosen, and then you might end up soiling yourself, which I wouldn't really want. <laughs> so I think I'd I'd go for the. I'd go for the no, PT's finger. I, I can manage. My, I can manage my bowel movements much better. No, you can't. You you, you can't because that's the whole point. You you wouldn't be it able might, to. You could, could, it might you, be you'd a shot. You break shots. out into tune. It, it would definitely be a shot. Yeah. It, <laughs> I'd be woken up. It would wake me up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. The way I understood that question was, it wasn't necessarily a finger. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was any any organ. So it could be my ear glowing and my hair is long enough to cover my ears so nobody would know that I'm aroused. So I'll go with the glowing organ and and I could choose which that organ which organ it is, whether it be my, you know, toes or my breasts or my ears. Something that's covered so no one would know that I'm aroused. 
you look like you look like something out of Tron. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the very fact that you lot have actually seriously considered the response to this question is very, very worrying for me. <laughs> if it was Tron like, you could sort of do a, you know, runway or something like that. You could have it. It could work. It could be could really work in your favour. I can see. Kent, Kent does say, rereading this question, he does say a sex organ. So yes, but by, by by nature, it would be covered. I'd like to think. Yeah, but it well, might. It might. You know, obviously, it might sort of illuminate the lower half through your trousers and that sort of thing. Hmm. It might sort of go... oh, <laughs> give me the circus music any day of the week. Okay. <laughs> oh no, I wouldn't do the circus music. Thank you very much. I think that the person that I'm attracted to would be quite flattered that, you know, I want to get it on <laughs> with them. <laughs> can we can we play music? Can, can, can we just do away with the glow of the dark music and bring on some Barry White or something, okay? Guy, you haven't said. No, I'm just doing, doing my very best to eliminate the last five minutes from my life. These are five minutes the Grim Reaper can have. Anyway. <laughs> uh, if it. I'd known this was coming, I'd have sold that five minutes. <laughs> we could have had you playing today. You could have made the difference. Uh. Well, to be honest, after 25 strawberry daiquiris, my internal organs are all glowing anyway, so I'm <laughs> kind of halfway there. <laughs> okay, on that note, thank you as ever, Nicky. Um, yeah. Thanks, Guy, and thank you, Simon, for... for... Sure for making your debut um, one Tottenham one family one love good night glory glory hallelujah